Hey, what are you guys looking forward to this Christmas? Like, what excites you about the coming week and knowing that, you know, the holiday's just around the corner? What are the things that you're just super pumped to experience? Maybe presents. For some of you guys, there's a gift you've been waiting on and you've been hinting for a long time. And finally, your spouse or your parents just came out and said, look, wait till Christmas and you can have it then. So maybe it's gifts that you're looking forward to. Perhaps you're going to get to travel. I'm jealous, by the way. You're going to get to go somewhere warm. You're going to get to go somewhere else and just experience something new for the Christmas season, which would be a lot of fun, right? Um, maybe you're excited about the food. You look forward to the Christmas cookies and the eggnog and everything else that goes along with it. Um, I'm going off my diet, you know, so I'm just going to eat everything I possibly want. I'm looking forward to food. Maybe you're looking forward to being done with Elf on the Shelf. Anybody with me? You're just tired of that guy. It'll be good when he goes away for another year. Or maybe the thing you're looking forward to most is family right? Your loved ones. You're going to be gathered around the table with the people that you love the most, and you can't wait to see cousins that you haven't seen in a long time, to spend some quality time with your mom. I mean, it's going to be amazing, and that's the thing that you're really looking forward to. Now, just as you probably have things that you are really excited about this Christmas, there are probably also some things that you're not so excited about this Christmas, things that are making you a little bit anxious, things things that you're nervous about, things that you're kind of like, oh man, if this weren't a part of Christmas, everything would be okay. It would be the perfect holiday if this weren't true. So perhaps everybody's coming over to your house for dinner this year. And you're like, oh, I'm glad to host. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm glad to do my part for the family, but it's a lot of work. And I'm just not totally sure how I'm going to make it all happen with everything else that's going on and hosting dinner for the whole family. Whew, maybe that's your situation. Perhaps financially this year, You've had to pull back a little bit. And so you have this desire to give gifts to everybody. You just want to give the best gifts and buy the most expensive things for your family. And just because of the reality of your situation right now, you're not able to do that. And perhaps that leaves you feeling a little bit sad or even guilty. You know you shouldn't feel that way, but you want to give great gifts to people and you're just not able to do it this year. Uh, Maybe, you know, your kids are going to be with your ex for the first time this Christmas day. And this is so hard because you're like, how do I celebrate what should be the happiest time of the year without the people who make me the happiest? Maybe you're not looking forward to that part of the Christmas holiday. Perhaps the thing that you're most anxious about this Christmas is the people you're going to be spending it with. Some people are looking forward to their family. I can't wait for mom to come over. I can't wait for my second cousin to get here. And some of you guys are like, oh, I hope they don't show up. Please, if they canceled at the last minute, I would be so happy. That would be a perfect Christmas, right? There are some people that you're just like, oh, maybe you've got a black sheep in your family. And you're just thinking, man, if they didn't come, the rest of us would have such a wonderful time. And if they do come, you're praying now more than you've prayed all year. You're like, Jesus, please just help them to keep it together. Please, God, help me to keep it together. I don't want to slap them, but I will. You need, I just need your help, Jesus. <laughs> hey, maybe some of you are the black sheep in your family. And somebody's on the other side of the city today saying, God, please, just I hope they don't show up right now. You're wondering, how did I get into this family? I mean, I don't know what it is that you're struggling with. I don't know what's making you anxious this Christmas season. But my guess is, in some way, shape, or form, it's probably tied to the people that you're going to be around. Let's just be honest for a sec, can we? Christmas can be ugly, can't it? It's not always a Hallmark movie. In a Hallmark movie, by the time Christmas is over, everybody has made up. They're all smiling and we're all back to one loving family again. It's a Christmas miracle, every single movie. How many of you guys know real life isn't that way? That it is not always a nice tidy bow at the end. And that by New Year's, not only are some of your relationships not gonna be restored, some of them are gonna be ruined all over again. 
is not always pretty. In fact, sometimes Christmas can be downright ugly. In fact, our message and really our whole theme for today, the reason we're wearing these stupid ugly sweaters and we've got this really ugly graphic up here for you today, the reason that we've got all this is because we want to lean into the ugly a little bit today. We want to acknowledge just how ugly the situations around us can actually be, how ugly relationships can turn at this time of the year, and we want to figure out what to do about it. If you've got somebody in your life that you're just struggling to love this Christmas, if there is somebody that's causing you anxiety and you're like, man, I wish I didn't even have to see him over the holidays, this is the message for you. And I'll also say, if you're one of those very lucky people and you say, no way, I can't wait to see everybody in my family. I get along so well. We have the perfect nuclear family. First of all, we all hate you. But second of all, it's like, even if you have no trouble in your family, there are people in your life that cause you frustration. It could be your coworker. It might be your neighbor. It could be your child's grade four teacher. It could be the person sitting next to you. Now, don't look. Some of you just gave it away. You're like, mm-hmm. That was not what I intended. We all have people in our lives that cause us stress and anxiety and frustration. Now, here's the thing. That's always true. It's true throughout the year. We always have difficult people. But Christmas has a way of forcing us face-to-face with people we don't always see eye-to-eye with. You've got to sit around the Christmas table with your sister-in-law who's just a mess. You've got to go to the Christmas party with the guy in your office that you, you just can't stand. So no matter who it is that you're struggling to love, no matter who it is that's causing you anxiety and frustration, today, what I want to do is I want to point you towards a holiday dinner that Jesus went to. Okay? He went to a holiday dinner with his closest friends. And in this holiday dinner, Jesus said something that is so powerful, it has become one of the most profound things anybody has ever said. This thing that we are going to read Jesus saying today, it literally changed the world. And here's the cool thing. It's not just like some abstract, you know, historical, like, oh, that was a good teaching by a wise man who lived thousands of years ago. No, this thing that we're going to read today, it has the power to transform every single relationship you have every single day of the year. So it's going to help a lot in the next week when you have all these Christmas get-togethers. But if you'll take this to heart, man, it will help you to transform your relationships every day to come in 2019. So we're going to start reading here in John chapter number 13. Okay, so this is in the New Testament. It's the book of John. John is one of the original 12 disciples. He followed Jesus around while he was here on earth. And um, at one time, John and three other guys wrote down all of their memories about the things that Jesus said and did. That's what the book of John is. It's a story about everything they remember Jesus saying and doing while they were following him here on earth. So in John chapter number 13, we are actually at the end of Jesus' life. And when I say the end of Jesus' life, I mean literally his last night on earth end of his life. He doesn't have much time left. And it just so happens that it is the time for the Jewish holiday called the Passover. And so they get together, Jesus and his 12 followers, they get together to celebrate this holiday called the Passover. Now the Passover is very closely tied to what we call Easter. It's not exactly the same, but they're very similar. And I recognize that this is Christmas. We're supposed to be talking about the nativity and here I am reading you a passage about Easter. I get it. We'll do the Christmas thing next week, but this will help you at your Christmas dinner. I promise. Okay. So Jesus gathers his 12 guys together. It's the uh, Passover meal. 
So they eat this traditional holiday celebration together. They have lamb, they have bread, they have wine. In fact, the Bible tells us that they take the first communion ever, right? So if you've ever had communion or the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, this is the very first time it ever happened. After the meal, after they have communion, one of the 12 disciples, a guy named Judas, he gets up and leaves. He goes to run an errand. Nobody really knows what he's off to do. And as Judas leaves, Jesus starts talking to the guys that remain. And it's in this conversation that Jesus says something that I I just promise you, if you really come to understand it, it'll transform every single relationship you have. John chapter number 13, we'll start reading here in um, verse number 34. Judas gets up and leaves. Jesus starts talking. So now he says to his followers, I am giving you a new command. Now, before I tell you what this command is that Jesus gave, I wanna pause for a sec. Because for us, we're like, okay, what's the new command? I'm ready. But for his disciples, when Jesus said, all right, fellas, I'm gonna give you a new command, their ears immediately perked up like elf ears. They were like, what? What does he mean a new command? Because see, Jesus had done this in the past. He had given new commands. He had said, now you guys have heard that you should do this and this and this, but I'm telling you, you should actually do this and this and this. And so they had seen Jesus give new commands and these new commands were so crazy, so mind-blowing that they changed the world. We still talk about them 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet. That's how big some of these commands that Jesus gave are. So when he says, I'm giving you a new command, the disciples were listening really close. And I think you should listen really close too because what he's about to say is incredibly important. I'm giving you a new command. So he goes on, love each other. That's what he says. All right, I'm giving you a new command. Fellas, here is the only tool you need in your relational tool belt. From now on, if you do this one thing, it's as simple as this, love each other. Now, I'm not sure if Jesus paused while he was having this conversation or not, but if he did, I can kind of imagine the disciples thinking, love each other? Wait, that's not a new commandment, Jesus. I've heard that my whole life. Of course, I'm supposed to love other people. I learned that when I was in preschool. That's so basic, right? The Old Testament, these were Jewish people. They followed the Old Testament very closely. And so they're like, we read that in the Old Testament. Of course, we're supposed to love each other. I can even imagine the disciples thinking, Jesus, even non-religious people understand they're supposed to love each other. This is not a new commandment, Jesus, and it's not really news. I don't see where you're going with this whole thing. I can imagine the disciples were a little bit skeptical when Jesus said, love each other. Now, here's the deal. I'm gonna tip my hand to you a little bit today. I'm gonna let you know that these three words and what follows after, this is the thing that you came for this morning. This is the relational key that is gonna unlock everything between you and your spouse, between you and your employees, between you and your neighbor that you can't stand. If you'll take this to heart, these three words and what comes after, I promise you, it will change everything. But I can imagine that just like the disciples, some of you guys are sitting there and you're skeptical too. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know I'm supposed to love people. I know I'm supposed to love these people. But come on, you don't understand how difficult these people in my life really are. Jesus, if you knew how difficult it was, how hard to get along with my parents were, then you wouldn't ask me to love them. You would understand why I struggle so much. It's like, they don't love me well, so why would you ask me to love them well? That just, it doesn't make sense. Maybe, Jesus, you just don't know the situation that I'm dealing with. Maybe in your mind, you're like, if you knew this lady that worked in my office, there are words I can't say about her in church, but if you knew who this lady was and what she was like, and I just, she has made my life miserable. 
And there's no way I could love her. There's just no way. She's not even worth loving. Like she is just one of those people that I can't stand. And honestly, if she disappeared off the face of the planet, I wouldn't bat an eye about it. Maybe some of you guys are even thinking, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love everybody and especially my family, but I've got, for instance, maybe you've got a daughter and you're like, man, she's just made a mess of her life. Every decision she chooses, everything she's a part of right now, I can't agree with like any of it. And so I know I should show her love and I want to show her love, but like if I show her love, then aren't I basically saying that I agree with, I affirm I'm behind you in everything you do and I can't do that. So I'm gonna withhold some love. You might be skeptical when you hear Jesus say, love each other because people are hard to love. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Okay, please. Yeah. Even if you're not a religious person, you can say amen to that one, right? And you might also have another objection. You might also say, and what does it mean to really love people anyway, right? Like, what does that even mean? Okay, I'm supposed to love my brother who's caused all this chaos and friction in our family. What does that mean? What is it that I'm supposed to do? In the 21st century, we have like a million ideas about what love is, and none of us can agree, can we? If I took a microphone and I went to every single one of you in the auditorium today and I said, what is love? And you gave me a personal definition. It would be different from the definition the person next to you gave. We would have 150 different, different definitions of what love is. So when you hear Jesus say, love each other, you first of all think, I can't love them. I can love some other people, but not them. And the second thing you think is, yeah, but I mean, that's so like, that's a Hallmark thing, right? We talked about Hallmark movies a second ago. That's what they say in Hallmark movies. Just love each other. If you guys would just hug it out, everything would be okay. That's not the way the world works, Jesus. I understand your skepticism. I really do. And I've got good news. Because Jesus does not leave his command here. Love each other. That's too soft. That's too sugary. That's too saccharine. Jesus goes further. And what he said next is the new command. What he said next changed the world. What he said next will change your world. So I'm giving you a new command, love each other. Then he finishes by saying this, just as I have loved you, you should love one another. How many of you guys have heard of the golden rule before? Anybody heard of the golden rule? Few of you guys have? Okay. Yeah, the golden rule, it's pretty familiar. You've heard it, you know, since you were a kid. Do to others what you want them to do to you. That's the golden rule. What you might not know about the golden rule is that it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Like there have been versions of the golden rule that existed long before Jesus. So in the ancient world, they had a version of the golden rule that was a little different than what you might think of. I call it the bronze rule. Okay, because the bronze rule said this, don't do to other people what you would not want them to do to you. Essentially, it's don't be mean, okay? That's what the, the bronze rule says. It's a way of life that's defined by not hurting other people. And that's a, that's a great way to live. You shouldn't walk around punching people in the throat. You should be nice to people. I get that. That's a good thing. But under the bronze rule, and again, this is the way the world worked for thousands of years. Every culture under the sun lived by this one moral law that the ideal standard is be nice or don't be mean is really what it is. But here's the thing. It doesn't compel you to do anything good for anybody else. As long as I'm not punching you in the throat, I don't have to stop somebody who is punching you in the throat. I don't have to be generous. I don't have to be kind. I don't have to be forgiving because all I have to do is not do anything negative 
to you. That's the bronze rule. And that's how everything worked for thousands of years. Then Jesus comes along, and in Matthew chapter number 7, verse 12, he gives us what we now know as the golden rule. And as far as we know, Jesus is the very first person in history that ever formally stated the rule this way. So the bronze rule says, don't do what you wouldn't want done to you. The golden rule says, do unto others what you would have them do to you, right? Pretty straightforward. But... Jesus takes it one step further in John 13 at this holiday dinner he has with his disciples. And he says, okay, bronze rule was not good enough. So we went to the golden rule. But I'm gonna tell you guys, if you're one of my followers, I want you to go a step further than that. Not only do I not want you to do, uh, uh, not only do I want you to simply do unto others what you would have them do unto you, I'm giving you a new rule. We could call it the platinum rule because it's a step above gold. And the platinum rule is what we just read here in John 13. Just as I have loved you, I want you to love other people. That's the platinum rule. Jesus ups the ante. He gives a new command. This is what he's talking about when he says, here's a new command. Not just love each other, because people have been saying that for thousands of years and we're terrible at it still. Instead, Jesus says, I want you to love people the way that I have loved you. We could state the platinum rule this way. Do for others what Jesus has done for you. That's it. If you did for others what Jesus has done for you, you would be living the most moral life, the best life. You would have the best relationships. Jesus makes himself the standard. Do you understand how weird that is? He makes himself the standard by which we measure our love for other people. Imagine if I stood up in front of you this morning and I said, now the next time you're dealing with a difficult person in your life, I want you to pause and say, what would Dan do in this situation? I would punch people in the throat. I'm not even gonna lie. Don't do that. Instead, stop and think, now what would Jesus have me do? How would Jesus respond to me if I were acting like an idiot in this situation? See, the teaching of Christ, the platinum rule, the thing that is going to transform your relationships this coming year is to recognize that I don't love people based on what they deserve or how I feel. I love people based on how Christ loves me. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how I feel. What matters is I reflect the love of Jesus back to every single person in my life. When you get right down to it, loving other people has nothing to do with me and it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with Jesus. See, Christ is both the source and the example of what true love for the people around us actually looked like. He said it, and we'll put it on the screen again because I really want this to sink in. A new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. As those words were coming out of Jesus' mouth, I'm sure each of the 11, uh, yeah, 11 disciples at this point, they, they were sitting around the table and they were thinking about all the times and ways in which Jesus had loved them personally. And if he had wanted to, he didn't do this, but if he had wanted to, Jesus could have gone around to each one of them and said, now, remember the way that I loved you that time? He could have looked at Matthew and said, Matthew, do you remember what your life was like before you met me? You were a tax collector, but beyond that, you were actually a thief. You were an embarrassment to your family. Matthew, nobody even wanted to be your Facebook friend, right? And I invited you to follow me. And he says to Matthew, essentially, I want you to go show that same grace to every single person you'll meet for the rest of your life, Matthew. As I have loved you, 
you should love others. He could have looked over at Nathaniel. Many of you guys don't have a clue who Nathaniel was. You're like, there's a disciple named Nathaniel. We don't hear a lot about him. There are only a couple of stories about Nathaniel in the Bible, and none of them are particularly great. I could imagine Jesus looking at Nathaniel and saying, hey, Nathaniel, do you remember what you said the first time you ever heard about me? Do you remember when you heard that the Messiah had come, your first response was, dude's from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel, you dissed my family, my hometown, all my high school friends. You called us all losers and I let it go. In fact, I made you one of my main guys, didn't I? When you had nothing but negative things to say about me, I overlooked it. Nathaniel, I want you to show that same forgiveness to every single person you're gonna meet between now and the day you die. Jesus could have looked at every single one of those disciples around the table and said, just as I have loved you, I want you to love the people around you. Now, not only did the disciples have to think back to like these, you know, older memories over the past few years of the way that Jesus loved them to understand what he means. Jesus actually had done something earlier in the night that was so powerful, they would never forget it. And it communicated exactly what Jesus meant when he said, I want you to love each other. Other. So we're going to jump back in the same chapter just a, an hour or two earlier in the night at this holiday party that Jesus was at. And in the beginning of John chapter number 13, the scripture tells us Jesus does something incredible. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He knew this was his last night on earth. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. What he's about to do is going to communicate the extent of his love. So the Bible says in verse four, he got up from the table, he took off his outer robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you might be like, whoa, hey, whoa, hold up here a second. He washed their feet? Come on, how many of you guys know feet are gross? That's disgusting, Jesus. They're about to have dinner and he's washing people's feet. That is not sanitary, Jesus. What is going on here? Okay, in ancient times, right? This happened in, you know, first century Israel, Palestine, okay? They walked around in sandals every day. They didn't have Yeezys on, you guys. They had nothing but sandals. And when you walked, you were always walking on a dirt road. You complain about Stony Trail, but trust me, the roads were much worse in ancient Israel. And so when they would walk in these sandals, their feet would get really, really dirty. And in the same way that today, it would be very rude to walk into somebody's house and just tromp through their living room with your snowy, muddy boots on. It would have been very rude in the ancient world to walk through somebody's home with your dirty feet, okay? So what would happen is in every single home by the front door, there would be a basin and it could be filled with water. There'd be a towel there. And when visitors came over or when the family came home because their feet were dirty from living in the desert, they would wash their feet. But who do you think did the foot washing in the house? Do you think the homeowner, the master of the castle would get down and scrub in between everybody's toes? No, it was always the lowest house servant that had that job. And so at a holiday dinner, in order to communicate how deeply and fully he loved his disciples, Jesus washed their feet. 
After washing their feet in verse 12, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash each other's feet. So if you look under your chair this morning, you're going to find a basin of water. And I want you to take off your shoes and just kidding, we're not doing that. When Jesus says you should wash each other's feet, he doesn't mean literally. He's saying I'm setting a pattern. You should serve one another even if it's in a lowly way. In fact, he goes on to say, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you if you do them. Now, earlier, we identified two problems with loving people. Jesus wants us to love people. He wants us to love them the way that he loved us. And immediately, our mind went two places. We said, not everybody deserves it, Jesus. There are some people that are just jerks. And I mean, it just it feels weird to love those people, right? And we struggle to understand what love really is. How do I love my mom who's so distant and cold to me? How do I love her? How do I love my boss who seems to favor other people at my expense? How do I love my neighbor who won't quit having his dog pee on my lawn? Like, what does it mean to love Jesus? Two objections or questions you might have. Here's the deal. Jesus addresses, he answers, he shows us the way forward for each of those in this foot washing action here. First thing we learn when we see Jesus washing his disciples' feet is that love is what you do, not how you feel. Love is what you do, not how you feel. Love is an action, not an emotion. Love, from a biblical standpoint, is a verb. It is not a noun. So when Jesus asks us to do this, he's not asking us to feel something. He's asking us to do something. He's asking us to get out of our chair, to serve people, no matter how hard it is to serve them, no matter the fact that you might not feel like serving them. And let's be honest, there are plenty of things you do all the time that you don't feel like doing. How many Mondays do you wake up and say, oh, I don't feel like going to work today, but what do you do? You get up and you go to work. How many times are you paying your bills at the end of the month and you're like, oh, I don't feel like paying these bills. I wish I didn't have to do it but you, fit, you do it because it's the right thing to do. So in this passage, Jesus reminds us that love is not about feeling. Love is about action. That means you can show love to every single person in your life, whether they are lovable or not, because love is not based on me. It's not based on them. It's based on Christ. I can love even if I don't feel very loving. Listen, quite frankly, that sentence alone would save some of your marriages. I just saved you like 80 bucks on a counseling session. You guys, you're welcome. If you really started to act out love instead of waiting until you felt loving before you started doing anything loving, your relationships would change. Jesus acted regardless of how he felt. He pointed out that it was in his doing, in his serving, that he was communicating the extent of his love. He didn't say, now, boys, I want you to understand how much I love you. I love you so much, you guys. Like, my heart just swells with love. No, he served him. He did something. Okay. Second thing we learned from this passage, you don't have to agree with someone in order to love them. You don't have to agree with somebody in order to love them. Now, listen, because of the way, you know, the the timeline of this flows, you might have missed a very important point here. Judas 
was still at the table when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. The man who in just a few moments was going to betray him to the Jewish and Roman authorities, who was going to bring about his crucifixion and death, Jesus washed his feet and he never said anything different than he said to each of the other 11 disciples as he washed their feet. That's powerful. It's hard to believe. But it reminds us that Jesus didn't agree with Judas. He wasn't pleased with Judas. He didn't affirm what Judas was about to do. And yet he still loved him. There are gonna be people in your life, whether at work or in your neighborhood or in your home, and you are not going to agree with everything they say and do. That's no excuse not to love them. That's not a free pass to say, well, I don't have to love them because of the things that they do. No, it's not about them. It's not about you. It's about him. Jesus said, as I have loved you, I want you to love your employees. As I loved you, I want you to love your nosy neighbor. As I have loved you, I want you to love your husband who hasn't learned to control his temper yet. As I have loved you, I want you to love your wayward daughter. As I have loved you, I want you to love the stranger in the mall parking lot on Christmas Eve when you should have already had your shopping done. As I've loved you, I want you to love everyone else. How has Jesus loved you and I? How has he loved us? He's loved us completely. He's loved us selflessly. He's loved us sacrificially. This is the sort of love that Jesus calls us to, to love completely, to love selflessly, to love sacrificially. As I have loved you, I want you to love other people. One more verse and I'm done. We'll skip back ahead to the end of the night. Jesus is finishing up the conversation with the 11 disciples who are left. And he says, I'm giving you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, I want you to love other people. And then he goes on in John 13, 35. And he says, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples. He says, because you believe exactly the right things. Your theology is spot on. Way to go, God. No, that's not what he says. This is how everybody's gonna know that you are my disciples. You quote Bible verses to your son about how he needs to be in church more. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, this is the way everybody's gonna know that you're my disciples. You don't drink too much this Christmas. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, this is the way that everyone will know that you are my disciples because you give the best presents. You're the auntie who's always got the best gifts and they're just gonna associate that with you. No. He doesn't say, this is the way that everyone will know that you're my disciples because you get your family around the table and you force them to say an Xmas prayer. He doesn't say, this is the way that everybody's gonna know that you're my disciples because you say Christmas instead of Xmas. He doesn't say any of that. He says, the defining characteristic, the thing that is gonna mark you as one of my people, the thing that's gonna transform every single relationship you have, whether they are pleasant or whether they are a prickly person, the thing that's gonna transform it all is love. So here's my challenge to you. This week, this month, next year, whenever you encounter somebody else, again, they might be difficult, they may be your BFF. Whenever you, incur, whenever you encounter somebody else, I want you to ask this one question. How can I love this person right now in the moment? How can I love them the way that Christ loved me? You say, I don't know, Dan. I don't know how to love my sister right now. 
I don't know how to get along with my family. I don't know how to make my work situation better. I get that. I struggle answering that question sometimes too. But you know what we can do? We can ask the one who does know. We can say, Jesus, I don't know how to love this person right now. I need some help. Please come through for me. Otherwise, I'm going to punch him in the throat. I'm not kidding, Jesus. I need some help here. If you will ask this question, how can I love this person right now the way that Christ has loved me? There is no relationship in your life that will not get multiple times better. If, I mean, can you imagine, what if every husband loved his wife the way that Christ loved the church? What if every brother loved his sister the way that Jesus loved him? What if every neighbor was to look after the good of the person around them just like Jesus looked after their good? Can you imagine how different the world would be? Can you imagine what a different reputation Christians would have if the one thing we were known for was our genuine love for the people around us? Listen, this is how you're going to change your office. This is how you're going to change our church. This is how you're going to change your neighborhood. This is how you're going to change your marriage. This is how we are going to change the world. By loving one another the way that Christ loved us. 